Welcome to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed, your journey into discovering the amazing people and wonderful happenings in and around the Cothet region. Since her days as Powell River's first youth ambassador in 1994, Erin has continuously been involved in our community. Her love of the Cothet region and her understanding of the importance of connecting to the people living around you inspired this podcast. Coastal Currents is a no-holds-barred look at what's happening in our neighborhoods. But more importantly, it's about the people who live, work, and play here. Insightful interviews, frank conversations, and often hilarious discussions of issues, ideas, and people that matter to you. This is Coastal Currents. Here's Aaron. Hi, this is Erin Reed with Coastal Currents. On January 13th, 2022, I took the opportunity to sit down with Shane Reed, who is the captain of the commercial fishing vessel Double Odds, who has had a long career as a prawn and shrimp fisherman in the waters off the Cothet region. For full disclosure, Shane also happens to be my husband, and in these current times of COVID waves, sometimes you pick the most interesting person that's closest to you, and away you go for an interview. And this was a great interview. I think you'll find it very interesting. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Shane Reed. Okay, so today we're having a chat with Shane Reed, who's the captain of the commercial fishing vessel Double Odds. Hi, Shane. Hi, thank you for having me today. Thanks for coming on the show. So to start off and break the ice a little bit, we're going to play a really quick game of this or that. So here's how it works. You don't think about it. You just say the first one that pops into your mind. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. I was born ready. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee all the way. Pumpkin pie or apple pie? Apple pie with the crumble top. Garden or farmer's market? Farmer's market. GMOs, good or bad? Bad. French fries or salad? French fries. Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi, unless it's with rum. Gatorade or Powerade? Gatorade. Dinner or dessert? Dinner. Toenail clippers or a pedicure? Uh, toenail clippers. <laughs> Dyed hair or natural color? Natural. Flip-flops or sneakers? Sneakers. Bikini or one piece? Bikini. On you? Sounds lovely. Wallet or a money clip? Wallet. Boxers or briefs? Boxers. No tidy whities No. Okay. Yoga pants or jeans? Yoga pants. On you? (laughs) No. I thought you were talking about what I want to look at. (laughs) I can't wait to see you in your yoga pants. (laughs) Game of Thrones or Glee? Um... I've never watched either one. (laughs) That would be my answer too. Neither. SpongeBob or Patrick? Patrick. He's a star. (laughs) Xbox or PlayStation? PlayStation. Nintendo or Sega? Nintendo. Drawing or painting? Painting. Bowling or putt-putt? Putt-putt. What is putt-putt? Putt-putt? Is that mini golf? Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Skydiving or bungee jumping? I've been bungee jumping. You haven't been skydiving? No. Want me to throw you at a plane? Sure. Okay. You got to get in a plane first. <laughs> Baseball or football? Baseball. Pump and iron or pump and gas? Gas is easier. <laughs> uh, car or truck? Truck. Chevy or Ford? Chevy. <laughs> Hot weather or cold weather? I like the cold. Spring or the fall? Fall. Hot tub or hot spring? Hot tub. Theme park or water park? Water park. Bowling alley or roller rink? Roller rink. Smoking or non-smoking? Non. Dogs or babies? Babies. Dog or cat? Dog. Calendar or cell phone alerts? Neither. (laughs) (laughs) eBay or Amazon? Neither. (laughs) (laughs) 
Jokes or sentiments? Uh, jokes. Christmas or Halloween? Christmas. Okay. Hang with friends at home or ha- party with friends out on the town? At home. And that concludes this or that. <laughs> okay, now that everybody knows me. <laughs> yeah, now that we all know that you like to wear yoga pants. Today we're going to talk about prawns. Okay. I know a little bit about prawns. Do you? Mm-hmm. Just a little bit? A little bit. Let's start off by asking how you got into fishing in the first place. Because you're a commercial prawn fisherman. Yeah. Captain of your own vessel now. Finally. So what is it that got you into fishing? I've always liked fishing. I was always fascinated by it. And uh, not too long after moving to Powell River, a buddy of mine, his dad owned a commercial prawn boat and he let me go out with him for a day and see what it was all about. And the next season, I got to work for him. And that was the start of it. So I started working for him in 1998 and... During that season, I start. I also started working on a different boat and spent 20 seasons on that boat now before I got to actually buy it. And I think what most people don't know that makes that kind of funny, because traditionally, in a lot of cases, people get into fishing because it's the family business, right? Like it's a generational thing. But you didn't grow up by the ocean. No. Where'd you grow up? In the interior. A little town just outside of Kamloops. And growing up there, I did some fishing in the creeks and lake. And that, that was the extent of the fishing. But I was still still enjoyed it all. What's the draw? Like, what is it that you love so much about it that you've been on the water all these years? I just like being on the water or in the water. It's It's fascinating. The smell of the air around the ocean is... It's something that you don't understand and until you are away from it, I guess, or until you come back to it. Yeah, I could never be away from the ocean now, for sure. So what else have you done? Because fishing on the boat isn't the only thing you've done ocean-related. No. What else? <laughs> where to start? <laughs> I've done all sorts of different stuff over the years. I've worked in a grocery store as a service clerk and... Also as a cashier, I worked uh, at gas station. I delivered pizza for a couple different places, uh, made pizzas. Uh, I sold shoes at a local store in the mall for quite a while. Later on, I did some commercial diving. I did that on and off for about... 17 years so a joke before was I either fish I work on the water or in the water that was that was what I did (laughs) and when you were in the water like I know for a lot of time that you did like underwater construction and and different things like that Mm -hmm. but you were also doing fishing activities under the water as opposed to just being on top of the water right yeah that's right harvesting underwater and what were you harvesting um I did scallops a few times but mainly gooey duck aquaculture. Right. And mm-hmm. you also did some fish farm work, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did some some uh, maintenance mostly on the fish farms. Installation of pred nets or cleaning nets or fixing nets, stuff like that. Pred nets for the layperson would be predator net to protect yeah. the fish. Yeah. They protect the fish from seals and sea lions and 
whatever else wants to go in and eat the fish. Speaking of sea lions. We don't like sea lions. Don't you have a funny story you might want to share about <laughs> sea lions? Yeah, well, I don't find it very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I do. There was one that was a little too close when I was out harvesting scallops before. It bumped me a couple times. It grabbed onto me and it was... It was encroaching in my territory. So it being the bigger one, I left. Yeah, grabbed onto you, like put its mouth right around the calf. Yeah, yeah. It. I looked down and it had my whole leg in its mouth, just around the calf muscle. So yeah, it was, it was pretty big to, to be able to open the mouth that wide, right? When you're down there and you're swimming around, I mean... To the rest of us, when you look at them outside of the water, they look big. Mm -hmm. Does the water amplify the size of them? It it probably does. Everything looks bigger when you're when you're diving and looking at it through a through the water and and a glass mask, right? But underwater, out of the water, they're big and clumsy and awkward. In the water, they're super graceful and they're fast, and it doesn't even look like they're using any effort to move, but they just zoom around. So let's get into prawns, because that's what we're here to talk about today, right? Okay. Okay. So what is a prawn, for those who don't know? A prawn is a shellfish. The tail part is what most of the local people around here eat. When it's exported, the whole product is eaten. They swim around in the water. It's like a shrimp, but bigger. Uh, a lot of people don't know the difference between a prawn and a shrimp. Around here, prawns are the big ones. They're, that's what everybody wants because just because they're bigger. And there's several different species of shrimp around. They're all from the pandalus family. The ones that we fish for commercially are mostly the spot prawns. There's also a smaller market for humpback shrimp and coonstripe, coonstripe shrimp. Then a different fishery that I've been involved in over the years is shrimp trawling. And we catch pink shrimp and side striped shrimp there too. Right. There's there's a few other kinds, but those are the main ones that are done commercially. So the pink shrimp, those are like the little the little bitty guys that you'd see in the grocery store that you put in your salad. Yeah. 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 You'll see them in the in the deli in the grocery store and they're called hand peeled shrimp. That those are the little ones. And then the ones a little bit bigger and sweeter, those are the ones called side striped shrimp that yeah, yeah, you can find those in the in the grocery store frozen in a tub with just the tail part generally. They're called side striped shrimp. They've got white lateral stripes along the tail. And they happen to be my favorite. Yes. <laughs> They're a little bit sweeter than a prawn. They don't get as big as a prawn. That's a lot of people like the bigger ones, right? Yeah. So you get more bang for your buck. It's a lot less work to uh to peel a big one as opposed to three little ones right right i mean traditionally when we've sold side striped shrimp we compare them to a medium prawn yeah so uh, i i still prefer them myself <laughs> fair enough fair enough so and they're cheaper they are if you can get them so what's the difference like how do you fish for prawns recreationally because lots of people you know in in the Cothet area have their own boats and their own fish licenses and they go out and catch their own prawns. So how does that work? 
Well, first you got to have a prawn trap and then four or 500 feet of rope attached to it with a float on the top. And you put some bait in the prawn trap and go out and drop it into the water anywhere between three to 500 feet and leave it there for however long you want. Commercially, we only haul it once a day, but there's a lot of sport fishermen out there that'll haul it after a couple hours and just to see what they get. Is there a limit to recreational fishers on how many times they could pull their traps up in a day? No, they have a, a, a catch limit per day of 150 prawns. But other than that, they're, I think they can haul their trap as often as they want. Okay. And do the rules, I know they used to not apply so that buried females or female prawns that had eggs, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't have to throw those back. They could keep them. That's changed though in the last couple of years, hasn't it? Yes. No, nobody's allowed to keep buried egg bearing prawns anymore. Right. Okay. Which is good for the conservation of this, of the fishery. And I guess the part we missed on that is recreational fishers have to have a recreational fishing license. A normal tidal water fishing license is is all you need to go recreational prawn fishing. Right. Okay. So now what's the difference with commercial fishing? Because it's very different. I mean, the, the method itself is not different. No, you still have a trap and you put bait in it and put it in the water. For commercial prawn fishing, it's it's a lot more expensive. Instead of spending $30 for your license, it's it's several hundred thousand if you want to buy a commercial prawn license, if you can find one for sale. Leasing is the other option. And the last few years, it's been anywhere between thirty and $50,000. Per year. Per, per year to, to lease a license. And then you've got to have all the gear. Right. Which is, it's not cheap to... To do that either. A boat, 300 traps. So one license, you can have 300 traps fish off one one license? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And what's the other different regulations? Because you guys have some, you know, specific rules you've got to follow that the average person doesn't have to think about when they go take their boat out, right? Yeah, it's fairly... Fairly regulated, the commercial fishery. There's only a certain number of commercial licenses available. I think it's a, around 245 commercial licenses on the BC coast. Um, traps, we have a volume size limit in the trap. There's a maximum volume size. And then there's a, a minimum mesh size as well. The mesh can't be too small. That's... That's so all the little ones can get out while it's still on the on the seafloor instead of having to bring all the little ones up and then having to throw them back in. And you also have to have like a rock cord on your traps too, right? Yeah. For any lost gear, then that caught piece of cotton twine will eventually deteriorate and then the prawns that are in the trap can get out. Do the the recreational traps must have to have the same thing, correct? I'm not sure about that regulation. It's a good idea, but I don't think it's been imposed on them yet. There's also a size limit for commercial fishermen. In 1988 is when the DFO implemented this uh, minimum size for the carapace measurement. And what's a carapace? The carapace measurement is the head shell, and it goes from like the back of the head shell to the 
edge of the back of the eye socket. Okay. And it's uh it's 33 millimeters. It was it was Im- implemented by DFO, but it was a suggestion brought on by industry because of marketing. Nobody wanted to buy the little ones and there there wasn't really a market for the small ones. So it was a recommendation from our industry and DFO accepted that and they implemented it in 1988. Okay. It wasn't about uh it wasn't about conservation for the fishery or anything like that. It was just just a recommendation and DFO accepted it. So it's been a rule since then. And then there's there's kind of other things like your your season is incredibly short. It is. When when I first started fishing in in 1998, our season was 115 days that year. Last season in 2021, we had 37 days. Over the last 5 or 6 years, I think it's been between 37 and 42 days. Yeah. So that's short, short time to make your living in a year and pay off a thirty to fifty thousand dollar license lease for the year. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty intense. What kind of challenges do you face as a prawn fisherman during this really short window of a season? Now, aside from the short season, there's uh, a lot of other factors that that could hamper your season. Vessel breakdowns could cost a day or more of fishing time. Lost gear costs money. You could miss days because of weather. Some more marine park areas coming into effect in the, in the near future. That's going to take away fishing grounds from a lot of people. Not just prawns, but all the fisheries. And don't you currently, you have to work around things like rockfish conservation areas. Like currently there's, there's areas now that you have to fish around and. Yes, currently because we're a soft bottom contact fishery, we can still fish in rockfish conservation areas. There are other park er or there's a uh, resident orcas that have, they've had closures because of those that we're, no vessels are allowed to go into. Recently there's glass sponge reef closure areas that we're not allowed to fish in either okay just because of the bottom contact what about crew is can crewing be a challenge in your industry it's it can be hard to find adequate crew because uh, our season is so short lots of lots of employees can't take that time off of their their main job to have a holiday and go fishing <laughs> Which is essentially what's ha- what happens to a lot of people, right? Is that they have to actually take a holiday from their normal, whatever work it is they're doing, to then go out and work a season where, like on a boat like yours, we haven't talked about that yet, but there's a distinction between boats that fish live product and boats that are freezer boats. Yes. Fishing for a live boat, you could be home every day. On a freezer boat, generally, you're going to be gone pretty much the whole season. So that would be a super challenge for somebody who's got 37 days to throw around, give or take, uh, yeah. to do that particular job. And Yeah, it is, it is tough. Like somebody with a, a young family has to have a, an income from the whole year, right? So it's, it's kind of hard for them to be able to, to take time off of 
a steady job to go prawn fishing and then if they've got a young family it's it's pretty difficult to be away from home for a month and or a month and a half there is challenges to finding a, a crew for sure so since we did touch on it a little bit um let's talk about the difference between fishing live prawns and fishing on a freezer boat okay when i first started fishing we fished live prawns for for quite a while a live boat goes out and they haul their traps for the day and they keep all the prawns live in their hold till the end of the day they'll come in tie up at the dock and then they'll offload all their product into a truck and then it goes and gets processed at a plant some people will sell some live off of the dock that happens for the frozen product like on my boat now we'll go out we'll leave the harbor we'll do our fishing and we'll individually put each prawn in a box until the box weighs a kilogram and then they go in the freezer and we stay out on the water until the freezer gets full or we're running low on fuel or food or water something that'll force us to come back to the harbor and unload the freezer so we could be gone for a week or three weeks at a time and even when you say gone for that period it's not like you come home and you get three days off and then you head back out it's you come home you stay up really late unloading the boat getting supplies uh, getting parts if they're necessary and then you're back at the boat basically at dawn to head back out again or before dawn right yeah, it's, uh, well, with the short season, you don't want to miss any fishing days, right? Selling the product, a lot of the product in your industry goes overseas. And it's kind of a touchy subject in some areas because obviously people don't like to see our natural resources here being shipped out of the country. I mean, the same issue happens in forestry, raw logs getting shipped out. There's a mm -hmm. lot of... Uh, seafood products that end up getting shipped overseas and prawns is definitely no exception to that um what what right now is about the percentage of product that gets shipped out of canada as opposed to stays local i'm not exactly sure the percentage i'm gonna guess it's around 80 percent that gets exported and it's a it's a top quality product it, and that's that's generally what happens with most of our resources. We export the best of it, right? I don't know why it's always worked like that. Maybe because they pay the, they pay more money. And when you were talking about boxing the prawns, you said each individual prawn gets placed into a box until the box weighs a certain weight. But there's a little bit more to that, isn't there? There is. It's, it's not as, as simple as that. The prawns get uh, dipped into a preservative and then they have to get boxed according to size. So each box has the same general size in it. So you look in it and they all look the same. You can't have big ones and little ones in the box together. So it's, it's a bit of a process. It takes some practice to, to get good at it for sure. Tell me a little bit about how prawns are monitored through the season it's one of the most sustainable fisheries that there is so how exactly is the season monitored well every vessel has an electronic monitoring system on it there's a button you press and it sends a signal to J.O. thomas 
where we set all of our traps and where we haul all the traps from. They know where the boats are pretty much all the time through the whole season. That will tell them whether they're fishing in an, an open area or a closed area. That's the easiest way they have of, of monitoring that part of it. They send out biologists constantly and they're on different boats all the time testing the spawner index counting every fourth or third trap that comes up and counting all the prawns in it seeing how many are female how many are transitional how many males and if there's not enough females then the area like it's not just one boat they'll have to test several boats but if there's not enough females in an area then that area will get closed and you have to go on to a different area when there's a certain amount of areas closed on the whole coast then the whole the whole fishery gets shut down so this monitoring system it's like so each boat kind of has a gps system on it yes and so every time you put traps in the water you're pressing a button to automate the system there's just to send a signal at that gps location to say this is where like that's where the traps went down and then when you come back later to haul them you press another button to let them know you're hauling them from that spot so let's move on to talk about the tubbing of prawns because with having only such a short season to fish that means there's only a short window of time that you can offer fresh prawns to the local public and in actual fact because you run a freezer boat you don't really have opportunity to offer people fresh prawns because you're not back every day in order to do that so that they would go rotten if, yeah. you, if you had fresh prawns. So there's a practice that's been going on for a long, long time, decades, of tubbing prawns at sea. So let's talk about you know what that process is. What's involved in tubbing prawns? Well, for the local market, um, fresh is always best, but our season is limited, so they only have between a month and a month and a half to get fresh prawns off of a boat at the dock, right? So to spread that out and make them available throughout most of the year, you take the head part off, weigh it up into a one-pound container is what most fishermen have been doing for, as you said, decades, and then freezing it in in water, and the water acts as the preservative to, so it will last months. It's the best way to do it. Like it's chemical free. It lasts. It lasts. Can it can last up to a year? And so the main part of your process, and that preserves those within that tub, is having them. You know, like I I see them when they they come home here for us to sell them. They they come in a really good thick block of ice. Yes. So that's what helps protect them from the freezer burn is being fully immersed in that water and frozen. Yes. If if you just glaze them with water and freeze them in in something different, it's going to shorten the, the shelf life drastically. How long have commercial fishermen been doing this? Uh, as long as 40 to 50 years ago. To make the product available for the local market, the way we do it now is by far the best way that that we can do it. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the prawning industry in Powell River or, you know, on your boat specifically? I don't think so. Just try and support your local fishermen. That's 
we're your neighbors and friends, and we like to feel the love, too. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Shane Reed, for coming on the podcast and giving us your view and take on prawning in the Cothat region. Just for informational sakes, there was actually a piece that Shane and I did with regard to the tubbing of prawns, because at the time, DFO was looking at either making tubbing of prawns illegal or changing the container size of these prawns to a very, very small container. And that would have affected what we were talking about with regard to the water surrounding the prawns and preserving them and keeping that shelf life as long as possible. I did edit that piece of the interview out because on the morning that this interview was set to drop, we received an email indicating that DFO had reversed their stance on the tubbing restrictions. And they've indicated that for the 2022 season, that prawn tubbing will continue without changes to regulations. And for the 2023 season, restrictions will be introduced for a maximum tub size of 24 ounces, and tubs should be transparent. Shane has always used transparent tubs in his practice of tubbing prawns, and we have used a larger container because they've been more sturdy and uh, have held more water so that we could really have that pound of prawns immersed. But this is something we can adapt to and, and change and, and look at the practice that we have now. We're just very relieved that we'll still be able to do this because it allows us to offer this product to the people in our region for a lot longer period of time than that short six-week window that the fishermen are able to prawn. This is great news, and uh, I know Shane's very excited about it, as are the other local fishermen, and he wanted to pass along the thanks to uh, Rachel Blaney, who was our local MP, because she very strongly advocated on the behalf of fishers and really locals so that they can maintain their access to local seafood. Thank you for listening. Until next time, this is Aaron Reed. Thanks for listening to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information about the podcast, visit www.coastalcurrents.ca or follow us on Facebook at Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. If you'd like to submit a topic or join the conversation as a guest, email Aaron at coastalcurrentswitharen at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.